Hello. Greetings. So glad you joined us. So glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And as I am sure you are aware, when Christians come together on the first day of the week, they participate in various activities in their assembly. We've been spending some time considering these activities as we see rooted in the New Testament. When Christians came together and they sang and they prayed, they observed the Lord's Supper, they heard a lesson, they gave, and they studied the doctrines of the apostles, which we now can find in the Bible. And these things are good for us to do. And so we're considering what the scriptures have to teach us about them, how we can observe them more profitably and more properly. Today we're going to explore praying. But before we do, it's good for us to again keep a couple things in mind. We've intentionally going to avoid the word worship during our discussion. The word worship uh, has become quite distorted in English. English, the word has taken on a wide range of meaning that can include any form of religious service as well as uh, what is normally considered uh, uh, the worship service. And a lot of times it's easy to associate the worship service as a unique and specific thing that has its, that has, is what worship is talking about. And the New Testament doesn't use the term that way. In fact, the New Testament does not use the word worship to describe the actions done in the assembly in any way, shape, or form, save with the unbeliever falling and prostrating before God in 1 Corinthians 14.25. And so we're going to speak of the acts of the assembly. Um, and these acts are part of our lives of spiritual service. So we are the living holy sacrifice that God has spoken of in Romans 12 and verse 1. And it's part of how we bow down in our spirits to God according to his truth in John 4.23 and 24. But it is by no means the only way in which we do so. Likewise, when we see what the purpose of the assembly is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the end of verse 12, Paul says that we are to strive to excel in building up the church. In verse 26, let all things be done for building up. And the Hebrew author in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, declared, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see what we do in the assembly is designed to encourage or strengthen and edify or build up one another. So everything that we're going to talk about in terms of praying today needs to be considered in light of how it can be encouraging, and edifying, as God has established. And so let's look at praying in the assembly. We begin by looking and considering what prayer is. What is prayer? We're going to define prayer. How would you define it? Webster calls it, in a general sense, the act of asking for a favor, and particularly with earnestness. And so prayer is a petition. We can and do, even in our culture today, speak of praying before a court or another institution when we want them to do something for us. That we uh, pray thee, the court, pray thee, pray thee. Those are some kind of old fashioned words. But they come out of that same idea that we're petitioning the court, petitioning a superior to uh, help us with something that we need. Of course, most of the time we talk about prayer, we're thinking about uh, making our petitions before the ultimate authority, the ultimate judge, who is God. In Scripture, 
in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 through 17, Paul speaks about praying in the assembly. And he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Why am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. We're going to come back to this passage in many ways in our conversation because this is one of the foundational passages about how prayer in the assembly works. For now, let's consider that he doesn't actually use the word pray very much in that passage. Uh, He talks about that as the activity, but he goes and talks about the giving of thanks. And he seems to use this as a very formal term for the kind of prayer that's being offered in the assembly. It's a giving of thanks. And so it's good for us to keep in mind that thanking God for the innumerable blessings that he has given us is more than appropriate. In fact, you consider even in Paul's letters, when Paul is communicating to Christians, a lot of times he begins by thanking God for them and what God has done through them and for them. And many times you will see thankfulness uh, sprinkled throughout all that Paul writes. And so it's not that God doesn't want to hear about our difficulties or challenges, and he certainly wants us to ask things of him. But we need to devote a decent amount of our prayers to the giving of thanks, that we remind ourselves uh, all that God has done for us, why we would think he would do the things that we are praying for, and to be confident that however things may turn out, that he is good and has uh, shown steadfastness and loyalty to his people. So prayer is our means of communication with God. And if uh, prayer is how we communicate with God, we do well as Christians to be continually praying to God. And uh, it's very important for us to do that. And there's a lot of things that we can do in the assembly and other times that we can uh, bring us together as a, in association as fellow Christians to help us to avoid sin, to promote the truth. Uh, and those are very good things. But prayer is the way we... Talk directly to God. Therefore, it's very special, very important. In Matthew 6 and verse 32, Jesus affirms that God knows what we need and what we want. And yet he still wants us to pray. So when we're praying to God, it's not like we are informing him of something of which he was unaware. Instead, it's for our benefit because he calls upon us to tell him for ourselves the type of things that we need and helps us to vocalize the work through it, to consider it. Uh, He cares for us, and so that's why he wants us to cast our anxieties upon him. Philippians 4. If we don't pray, we're the ones who lose. God doesn't lose. We're the one who loses. And that's important for us to keep in mind. And so, it's natural for prayer to be a part of our assembling together. We sports singing. Colossians three sixteen was an important passage of talking about how we are to it's teach and admonish one another in songs. But then you look at the very next verse, the very next concept that uh, we are whatever we do in word or deed, we're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Ephesians six verse eighteen, we're to be in prayer at all times before God, and so. We do well to give thanks everything we, in everything we do to God the Father. So thanksgiving remains in a very crucial part of that. 
and that we are to pray. And so it's very natural if we're a praying people that when we come together, we're going to pray together. And so it's good for us to again return to 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17, and look at what Paul has to say specifically about prayer and what we can learn from it. Now in context, he's talking to the Corinthians about the use of spiritual gifts, and here especially the use of speaking in tongues. And whereas we believe that 1 Corinthians 13, that the speaking in tongues has passed away, we have the full revelation of God, that uh, we can still learn something from what Paul has to say here. The concern in Corinth was that somebody could be praying in a tongue. And if he's praying in, say, German, and everybody there speaks Greek, that prayer is meaningless to the people who are in the audience. Now, God knows German. The person praying in a tongue may not know German, but he may know what he's saying somehow. But nobody else does. And so what Paul's saying is that, that he will pray with his spirit, that the soul will be involved in praying, but he will pray with his mind also. Otherwise, there's anybody in the position of an outsider, and anybody who is an understanding is not going to be able to say amen, or so be it. They're not able to affirm the prayer. And you may be saying the most beautiful words to God and giving thanks to Him, but it's providing absolutely no benefit to that person. He's not being edified. And so, we can see certain elements of prayer. First of all, we see that prayer in the assembly is designed to be a form of edification. And therefore, something that everybody in the assembly can understand. That everybody in the assembly, even if they're not the ones actually speaking, Praying are to say Amen at the end. Uh, amen is an, is an Aramaic word, Hebrew, meaning so be it. Uh, so therefore, it's not Greek. And so we see that this word Amen carried over. And that's why it carries over to this day, based on this passage. And, and therefore, the one praying needs to engage both his spirit and his mind in prayer, so that everyone else can engage their spirit and mind in prayer, that the prayer can be truly edifying. And, as we've mentioned, the prayer is to give thanks as well. And that's a major emphasis because it's called the giving of thanks. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, uh, when Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, he talks about how Jesus, when he broke bread, prayed. And so we see that as part of the transmission, the tradition of the Lord's Supper, praying for the elements of bread and for the vine are an important part of that particular observance and the giving of thanks. We do not see any explicit association between Paul's asking for prayers from Christians, like in Second Corinthians 1 and verse 11, Romans 15 and verse 30, Colossians 4, 2 and 3. But we could very easily imagine that when Christians come together, they would make petitions for Paul as he had asked for them to do. We do see some examples of prayer in assembly contexts. In Acts chapter 2, as the in the early church, just after the day of Pentecost, in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devoted themselves together to prayer. In Acts 14 and verse 23, when Paul and Barnabas are in churches of Galatia establishing elders, we're told that they had, with prayer and fasting, they committed the elders to the Lord in whom they had believed. So prayer was a part of that installation of elder process and likely done in an assembly context. 
And so, Christians are absolutely praying in the assembly to give thanks to God in general, to give thanks for the Lord's Supper, for perhaps other specific acts going on in the assembly, or for the welfare of the Christians in the assembly, or other Christians, such as Paul or others, and for the work of God to continue. And so, we certainly see the authority for prayer. So what kind of prayer should be taking place in the assembly? It's important for us to understand, first and foremost, that this is an assembly prayer. And there's assembly prayers, there's individual prayers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 17-18, through 18, we are told that we are to pray without ceasing. And so we are to pray. We are to be a praying people. And that's true of all of us at all times. And that's a very important part of our lives as Christians. But we need to understand that we have different prayers at different times for different purposes. And that the prayer in the assembly was never designed to be the end-all and be-all of praying. It's designed for the edification of the Christians in the assembly. As we see in 1 Corinthians 14, to invoke God's blessing upon the assembly, to thank God for what he has done for us. So our assembly prayers are to supplement the prayers that we have as individual Christians. The only time that we're in prayer is when we pray in the assembly. We don't really have a good form of communication between God and ourselves as individuals. And likewise, when we're praying in the assembly, we need to remember that the purpose of that prayer is to thank God, to encourage the members of the assembly. And there are some things that the person who is leading the prayer might consider that are very profitable for him as an individual to pray, but may not be as profitable to, for the whole collective. And therefore, it may not be time for those prayers that befit the individual. And so that's something for those who would lead the prayer to, to keep in mind. And it's good for us to remember what is going on in this prayer. We have a nasty tendency these days to think that if we're not the ones actively speaking, that we are not actively participating or engaged in an activity. And this has helped to lead to a very uh, entertainment audience particip and, and uh, leader type of, of mentality in churches where everybody is being led or directed by the person up front and it's assumed that the person up front is the one doing all the work and everybody in the audience is not doing any of the work. And that's simply not according to what is going on here. When we think about a prayer in the assembly, the idea is that, yes, you have one man leading the prayer for the whole assembly. But that doesn't mean that the member, constituent members of the assembly are doing nothing. They are being actively led in the prayer. But in so doing, that person is directing the thoughts of everybody else in the assembly and they are participating in the prayer. Even if they're not speaking, they're still participating. And they affirm the prayer as an amen. That that prayer, when an amen is said, is not just the thoughts and the ideas of one person. It is then owned by everyone in the assembly. So that it becomes the prayer of the assembly that has met. However many people, it is the prayer of that many people. And in that sense, the prayer is a wonderful demonstration of our unity as Christians because we are coming together and having all of our minds directed into this one moment, one purpose, one thought, 
thanking God, bringing our petitions before God, and all of our energies are being directed and channeled toward that message that we're sending to God. And so, we need to realize if we are the ones in the assembly, and we are being led in prayer, we are as much praying as the person leading the prayer, even if we're not speaking. And our responsibility is to make that prayer our own, that we are paying attention to the prayer, that we are affirming the prayer. How are we praying as one if one is leading the prayer and some people are speaking something else, some people have mind has wandered to the football game or something else going on, another person's worried about something else. That, that, that's not a collective prayer. That's not the pr- all one, coming together as one. And that's why it's so important for all of us to allow our, to, to focus ourselves. It's so hard to do in our modern world. We have so many distractions, so many things that keep us from focusing. But we need to focus because we are to strive together to participate in the prayers in the assembly. That's the overall idea. But what are we going to pray for in the assembly? Well, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 14, the primary thing is to give thanks to God. We can thank God for the innumerable physical and spiritual blessings that He's given us. We can thank Him for the opportunity to assemble, for all the brethren assembled and the portion of health that has been given to them to do so. And it's important, because when we give thanks, it it forces us to be reminded again of what God has done for us and how dependent we are on God and how we should have complete trust in God that He will see us through whatever difficulties and trials we may experience and therefore should lead to edification and encouragement. It's also, though, a great way to show concern for one another. And so that's why we do well to pray for those in the congregation who are sick, those who may be traveling, those who are struggling with difficulties. And if that person is there, or even if they're not there and they're made aware of it, there will be comfort and there is strength given in the idea that all the people in the assembly are praying for them and for their situation and their condition. And they can have the assurance that the collective prayer has been given Uh, on their behalf, and that provides a lot of encouragement in those times of difficulty. In James 5, 16 and 17, James talks about the great value of the prayer of the righteous, and that's certainly true as individuals. And if it's true as individuals, how much more than uh, the collective of the holy people who are the people of God? We also do well, though, to pray that the gospel be spread, and that God may be with those who do so. As Paul requested prayers for himself and his work. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, we're supposed to make prayers for all men, especially those who are in authority, that we may have peace and tranquility, and that all may come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And these are just a few of many things we can pray for. God has never given us an exhaustive list of everything that we would pray for in an assembly. But again, we need to keep in mind what Paul has said for us. That we need to have it done on edification. And so we need the person who leads the prayer must give thought to what he is saying, to make sure that the message is something that all can affirm in good conscience and that all can be strengthened by in good conscience and not to meander and wander into their own particular idiosyncrasies or beliefs or issues that may not be germane to the whole. And it must be understandable that if words are being used that cannot be understood and if the patience of men is being tried, it is not accomplishing its purpose of all being brought together as one in communication before God. And there are some pitfalls, though, some difficulties that can often happen uh, when prayer is done in the assembly. And one of them is prayers to look good before men. 
In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus talking about the religious authorities of his day says that do not pray like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward and so a lot of times when people get to pray they're trying to say flowery prayers or long-winded prayers or some kind of prayers that at some level however conscious are, are prayed so that the impression is given, look at how holy and look at how wonderful that person is in the way that they pray to God. Well, if that's the idea, however, consciously, that it, they have their reward. People think that they're great prayers, but that is not gain them any standing before God. That when we are asked to lead a prayer in a congregation, we take it seriously that we should give our best to God and we should think of ways that we can offer God praise and thanks and make our petitions to Him in ways that honor Him. But we need to do that so that He is honored, that is for His glory and that we are not the ones getting the glory ourselves. And we need to be careful about that. Another one is that we see the idea of empty phrasing of the Gentiles and rote prayers in Matthew 6, 7, and following. And we can understand that in the use and abuse of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Um, in a lot of settings today, this pr the prayer is recited as part of every assembly. And Jesus tells us to pray like this, and for millennia that's been exactly the words used. And a lot of times it's being done with a rote in mind, that especially if somebody has been raised in a church that frequently prayed the Lord's Prayer, you could probably to this day just by rote recite it without even thinking about it. And that's the difficulty that can come with it, that uh, it's not inherently wrong to recite a prayer, but when what you're doing is just repeating what everybody else is saying without putting thought or meaning to it, it's become an empty ritual. And whereas in, in most churches of Christ, we don't see the Lord's Prayer itself being uttered every week. We have our own type of Church of Christ prayer, so to speak, if you, if, if you would forgive the terminology, that is constantly uttered. There's, you, know, you know what it means to guide, guard, and direct us if you've been in many churches of Christ. And till the next appointed time. Um, to have a, the speaker should have a ready remembrance of the things that, that he has studied and things of that nature where there's just these phrase, phrases that uh, at some point somebody came up with and sounded good, and so others started to repeat them, and it sounded good to them, and so it kept repeating until it became a thing that people across the country, and possibly even the world, have been doing. And again, does that make them inherently wrong? No, it doesn't make them wrong at all, but if they are just repeated over and over again without thought being put into it, that becomes a challenge. If you can just recite a prayer to begin or end an assembly without thinking about it, then God is not really being glorified or honored about that. But it resonates with us because assemblies don't vary that much week to week. Our needs don't vary that much from week to week. And so it's very likely that prayers are going to sound similar week in and week out. In fact, if you were going to intentionally strive to try to make them sound different, it becomes sorely vexing after a few attempts because 
There's only so many ways that you can say the same things time and time again. So again, the issue is not whether repetition is happening. What is the concern and the pitfall in assembly prayers is when we say it or hear it and we don't think about it. We don't invest it with meaning. Because when we do that, they're empty phrases. And God is not glorified or honored if we are just constantly providing empty phrases. So we need to mean what we pray. We need to own it. We need to affirm it. And we need to do that continually and diligently. We must want God to guide, guard, and protect us. We must want the preacher to have greater members of the things he had said. And to affirm those ideas as we pray them. And another pitfall that often comes with prayer is what is sometimes called affectionately preaching in prayer. And this is when somebody will use the opportunity given to pray to go beyond the realm of prayer. And the pitfall here is that we're not keeping our domains in a proper place. That there is a time to exhort brethren. There is a time to encourage brethren, specifically and directly. But prayer is a way we communicate to God. We communicate to God, and in the process, we're talking about maybe some of the things that we're going through. Maybe we can even affirm some of the things about the lesson in terms of applying them to our lives and so on and so forth. But to re-preach the lesson or to preach a different lesson in prayer, and to use a prayer time to go after brethren on various subjects, is just perhaps not the most profitable and appropriate way of, of going forward. And that is why we do well to remember that prayer in the assembly is to encourage brethren, but it remains our giving of thanks and petitioning of God Almighty. And so we do well to avoid these pitfalls. So we spent some time looking at prayer in the assembly today, and hopefully we've seen that it's a means of communicating thanks and petitions to God. And that we're doing it every opportunity, as individuals and in the assembly. But in the assembly, we understand that our prayers are being led by one person, but they are to reflect the whole. And that they are to be owned by everyone, and to be affirmed by everyone, and meant by everyone. And demonstrated by the declaration of the Amen at the end of the prayer, that we speak as one, and think as one, in terms of that prayer. And thus, those who pray have the obligation to take the opportunity to give thanks and to bring the petitions of the whole to God in a meaningful way. And the, all who are being led in the prayer must affirm the prayer, and therefore own the prayer, know the prayer, affirm the prayer, and to be active in the praying of that prayer, not by speaking, but with their participation mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And to mean it. That God may be glorified, that God may effectually accomplish the things we've asked, and that we are strengthened and built up by praying with one another. Let us strive, therefore, to pray to God in the assembly, to thank Him for the great things He has done, to encourage one another. Again, thankful that you've spent this time with us. We hope that you've been encouraged and strengthened in understanding of prayer in the assembly. If there's any Thing like you'd like to talk about further about this subject, maybe something else, maybe like when I become a Christian, maybe you just have a prayer request, or need someone to talk to. Uh, please contact me through my website, derovitai.com. That's www.d-e-v-e-r-b-o-v-i-t-a-e.com. 
You also find out more about the Venture to Christ if you're interested in meeting with us and learning more about us at VentureTruChrist.org. You can also find us on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.